0: I recently completed my Executive MBA through the University of Cape Town's Graduate School of Business, and since the course went uh, online and virtual due to the coronavirus pandemic, I didn't get to spend as much time as I'd wanted to with all of my fellow students. And for the last six months of our course, we were all focusing on our research projects. Um, and I think we were pretty isolated. We weren't sharing that much with one another about what we were studying. So in this series of podcasts, I'm speaking to fellow EMBA students, and we're talking about our research projects and what we were thinking about for the last six months of that course. In the studio this morning, I have Jordan Ludlow and he's joining me from Durban. Hi, Jordan.
1: Hi, Petra. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. So introduce yourself, tell me about yourself. Um, why did you decide to do an EMBA?
1: So to give you a little bit of uh, sort of background on my career and, and academic studies, um, you know, I come from a traditional science background. Uh, I studied a, a BSc and I completed a BSc honors in biochemistry a long time ago. I've since gone on to study a postgraduate diploma in business administration at the UCT, and I've had quite an interesting and diverse career path. I started with British American Tobacco post-studies. I've worked for them for 10 years in consumer marketing, product development and blending, and various trade roles. And I am now working for a retail, specialist retail asset management business operating in the FMCG logistics industry. I'm currently the MD at that business. And I really wanted to step change my own career development path. Moving into an executive role, um, I wasn't looking for something that would enhance my own technical capabilities or competencies. I was looking for a far more holistic learning experience. And when I started researching potential courses and MBAs, The EMBA at UCT really resonated with me, in particular because of the holistic approach to personal developments, really challenging these sort of long-held world views that I had. I was really looking forward to connecting with colleagues from a diverse range of industries and really, really challenging my own thinking of what executive management leadership was.
0: Yeah, I guess um, I did it for the same reason. And it's a, it's an immensely transformational journey. You learn so much about yourself and about other colleagues. You know, from my perspective, I was the only person um, who was from a mining background, you know, so you got to see what everybody else is doing and what they keep themselves busy with. So I found it immensely transformational and I learned a lot about myself. What did you find the most helpful over the last two years?
1: I think for me, coming from my traditional science background, I really was very heavily skewed towards an analytical, the pursuit of a single truth and a solutions-driven sort of determinist mindset where I really wanted to have a high degree of certainty in my decisions. I wanted to be able to analyze data and make one single decision, which was that objective truth and that perfect way forward. And that, for me, was probably the greatest learning from the MBA journey. It really challenged that, like, fundamental worldview. Things like complexity theory, you know, really helped me to understand that there are such complex and emergent challenges for today's organizations that the, the knowledge can't simply be in the head of the leader. And that was quite liberating for me, understanding that as the leader, you don't have to have all the answers. And what that did for me, it paved the way to firstly be a lot more comfortable with that uncertainty and have a little bit more patience to allow patterns to emerge as I sort of probe things. It also allowed me to really embrace multiple perspectives and really like leverage the diversity of the people around me and you know, their own lived experiences and the lenses with which they viewed the same problems that I was seeing. And that really was probably my single biggest learning, really a fundamental change in the way that I viewed the world. You know, the relational elements and the dimension of of organizations really also resonated strongly with me. And I, I really, really enjoyed the course.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm also from a science background, you know, I also studied, I uh, also did a BSc and, and geophysics and mathematics. And so I come from a very quantitative background in you know, analyzing data and finding, um, patterns in the data and that sort of thing. And I think what was wonderful about the course was the, the focus on qualitative, the focus on actually understanding words and, and people, you know, and and doing the qualitative research methods, I hadn't done any of those before. They guided us through uh, different types of qualitative research methods, and I think that just makes you a bit a better well-rounded person. After we've done sort of eighteen months of coursework, it all culminates in doing a research project. Um, how did you choose your topic for your research project?
1: So yeah, you know, since, since my my first position paper, I've really been fascinated with this sort of idea of of real meaningful autonomy and how you actually create the conditions for this meaningful autonomy, for people to actually really take accountability for their own decisions. You know, I work in a a very operational environment. There's a lot of day-to-day operational noise. And for me, as, as a leader in that space, it was really around trying to understand how I can allow people to take some of that operational noise out of my day-to-day role so that I can focus on some of my key objectives um, and and really how do I empower them to actually do that. And that really was the starting point. And, and it really started in position paper one and, and there was a, a very, very close thread through a lot of my position papers. And really it was on 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 sort of two key principles it was on on the complexity um the emergent nature and the challenges of organizations and the fact that those organizations have to adapt to challenges that are only seen sometimes in the day-to-day work by employees uh, and and often the success of those organizations is determined by the speed between when they detect an, an adjustment or a change and The response that they take. And that response is very difficult to get quickly if you are running an old traditional hierarchical model of working. And then the second element really was around the the human populated systems as organizations um, and how complex they are just because of all those worldviews and different ways of viewing. So that's really where I started.
0: And what was the title of your research project in the end?
1: So my title really was towards the a theory of for improved strategic coherence. And it, it was about exploring the role of leadership practice and the social constructs of organizational culture and habitus. I had the privilege of working with Johan Strumpfer. And I was throughout the course, I was really struck by a lot of the learning that came from, from his, his courses. I read a couple of his papers and, and one that really resonated with me was when he spoke about, you know, organizational design and he spoke about how you can progress, how you want to try and move organizations from first order organization, which is like a command and control where you design the outcome to second order organization where you rather design the rules of the transformation. And that obviously empowers people and it allows people to exercise their own agency and autonomy and it creates an environment where you are able to actually have both high control and high autonomy. And that control is not, in the, is not in the form of traditional control. It's really in the form of getting alignment between the parts. And by doing that, really creating these executional or structural frameworks that allow people to understand How they make decisions and why they're making decisions so that they can make their own decisions in their day to day work.
0: And what did you think you knew about this topic before you started? You know, what did you think you knew? I'll ask you a bit later what you actually then learned as a result of the process. But at the beginning of the process, what did you think you knew about it?
1: So it was so multifaceted. I I knew it was important. I knew that it looked a lot easier than what it had been in practice for me in my own organization. And I knew that if I got it right, it would make a significant impact in terms of organizational performance and employee commitments and a sense of purpose for them. So, you know, I I didn't know a huge amount. I knew it was critically important and I knew that there was a lot of underlying human elements, the social constructs, and that's really why I wanted to explore those because they are very much in the background, but those social constructs, things like organizational culture and habitus, which is, which is from Bordeaux's theory of practice, is really around what type of socially acceptable ways of acting and doing things, the why or the, 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 the how of what you do is actually embedded in the organization. And it it really limits the capacity for people to take different courses of action because it's so strongly ingrained in organizations. So that's really where I started.
0: And uh, it's not always interesting to everybody, but for uh, for us who are busy with our, who have just completed our our EMBAs, it's interesting to know what research methodology you followed. So very briefly, what methodology did you follow to get to your outcomes?
1: I followed a sort of a mixed methodology. The foundation of my research methodology was action research. I did a two-stage action research. The first stage really was around exploring strategic coherence through a series of questions. I interviewed a a diverse range of, of stakeholders within the organization from multiple levels in the organization and multiple experiences. And then my second stage, I went into a, a second action research cycle, which was focused primarily on the executive leadership within the greater organization. Uh, I'm, part of a, I'm part of a greater organization, so I had conversations with that executive leadership of the greater group.
0: How many interviews did do with, you do with people?
1: I did 14 interviews of about an hour and a half. And then I I did a effectively a a series of second interviews with um, with the executive leadership. And then I used the second element of my research methodology was grounded theory. So I used grounded theory very much around um, the disciplined coding. I used uh, constant comparison. I used the coding to to decipher that that complex data that I gathered from those interviews. And in particular. The type of grounded theory that I used was constructivist grounded theory because I really wanted to try and explore each of the individual's perspectives on the phenomenon that I was studying. And that's really um, how I ran my, my process.
0: I uh, also use elements of constructivist ontology. And what I liked about it was that you're constructing the world together in your conversations today. And it's all around, you know, you, you building the future together. And I think that was what drew me towards um, taking a constructivist stance. So once you did all of your research and interviewed all these people and came up with your themes, um, at the end of it, um, what did you learn? What were your major outcomes?
1: my major learnings and um obviously quite difficult to to condense uh, this down into um into a short conversation but there were three key ones for me the first one was was around shared leadership in terms of how do you enable this this new type of leadership the shift from a traditional hierarchical um command and control leadership paradigm to this new way of leading in the world and and obviously that's was very much linked to the complexity, the fact that I wanted to try and empower people. So shared leadership really, for me, the three key ways or antecedents to shared leadership, which came out of my research, was how do you create shared purpose? So team members having similar meanings of the team's primary objectives and focusing on collective goals. How do you enable social support, where team members provide emotional and psychological strength to one another, which improves the cooperation and a shared sense of responsibility for those outcomes. And then the third one is voice, the degree to which a team's members have input into how the team carries out its purpose. And those three were really, really important. And they came out very, very strongly in the research. This shared leadership is also very much like a relational dimension. And through exercising it, myself as a leader, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, has seen significant improvements in levels of strategic coherence within the organization. So that was the, that was the first learning. The second one was around the social constructs, culture, habitus, power. What I found through the research, and I had some ideas of it coming into the research about how strongly ingrained um, the culture of the organization was, but it really, it really came to the fore when I started interviewing people, when they, when there was such a great degree of synergy between the different interviews. People were talking around characteristics like high energy, entrepreneurial and impulsive culture, a culture of subjective decision making. Uh, A culture dominated by informal and unstructured communication networks and then very strong power dynamics and what people term proximity, how close you were to leaders or how well you engaged with leaders. That proximity had a very, very different effect depending on where you were in the organization and how close you were to some of the leadership team. And the research showed how markedly those socially acceptable ways of practicing were impacting what people felt was available to them. And they were making decisions which they didn't entirely think they should be making, but purely on the back of, of the pressure of these social constructs, which were sort of just un, un, underneath, sitting underneath their action and just slowly sort of manipulating how people behaved.
0: So do you think they were making these decisions um, based on what they thought others would like them to make the decisions on? This is the way it's supposed to be socially, but it's not necessarily the right decision.
1: Yeah, very, very much so. It's, it's really around sort of the, the dispositions, what, what people believe is inherently valued in the organization, the way you're supposed to behave. Um, you know, it's, it's problem-solving, action-centric mindset, which sometimes can create churn. Yes, you know, each of these things in their, on their, on their own or even together have a massive positive element to them. But it was really interesting to start to see some of the challenges that they were also, you know, the double edged sword of it. And then I think the third element for me from a, from a key major outcome or learning was around just human agency, just around the fact that people really are looking to make a meaningful impact in their daily work and enabling that individual agency is really around creating meaningful autonomy. And it's a crucial element for high-performing organizations where we, we rely on individuals or group of individuals to be able to take action on a day-to-day basis to deliver an organization's goods and services to their respective markets. So yeah, leaderships and organizations really around you know how you enable those agents to really find their flow in their day-to-day work.
0: So what I've heard is that you had three major themes and that it was around shared leadership, um, social constructs and human agency. So how have you gone ahead and applied this knowledge in your own environment?
1: So for me, that shared leadership concept really, really resonated with me. But so I've really tried within my own sphere of influence to try and make a concerted effort to shift from that traditional heroic, hierarchical, vertical leadership to a more shared leadership but also for me there's like a pragmatic realization that the magnitude of the shift is really really large and there are certain areas that this type of shift to a more shared distributed collaborative leadership is more beneficial for an organization and you know there's there's three areas from the research that i did which If those characteristics are present in the type of work you're doing, there's a significant chance that a more shared distributed leadership will have much better outcomes. And that's really around the the level of interdependence in the work that you're doing, the degree to which it requires creativity, and the complexity of that work. And for me, strategic work exhibits each of those three characteristics. And that's really why our foundation for me was around how do you create strategic coherence, a mutual understanding of an organization's direction amongst multiple levels of an organization so that people can make the right decisions in their day-to-day work and progress the organization forward as opposed to just keep moving and churning.
0: I really enjoyed the lectures we had by Joe Raylan on leadership as practice because um, a lot of the elements that you um, mentioning here around um, people working together in harmony is, is a lot of those elements are, are embodied in leadership as practice. So did you have a look at the leadership as practice elements as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, so leadership as practice was was very much part of that mm-hmm. that shared leadership element for me. So it was, there was a lot of Joe Raylan's work that came in there on the relational elements. There was, I was quite heavily influenced by Chia and Holt, as well as John Schotter's thinking around sort of witness thinking. And Chia and Holt talk about a concept which they call relational dwelling. Now, from my background, I was very much always focused on this this building and planning as opposed to the actual dwelling in a situation and the fact that you actually have to make decisions in the flow of practice as opposed to take it away from a situation and then think about it and plan it and then go back and execute it. Uh, so those also very, very strongly came through in the, in the shared leadership is this relational element, this ability to sort of impact a situation from within it.
0: And, and you say you're in a very operational focused role. Um, and I found the same as well. You know, we, we did these lectures and people would say you want leadership as practice to be like, uh, like playing in an orchestra together. You know, everybody knows what they need to do and they can sense the environment around them and they can work together in, in flow and harmony. And then I thought back to my own environments, which is a lot of it is very operations focused. A lot of it is, um, understanding how mining teams work together. And you go, how do I get these guys to work together like an orchestra? You know, so you sort of think about how do you share the leadership and how does it actually apply to, um, the very, very operationally focused and industrial environment that I'm from? And it, you must have felt the same, you know, how do I take this because if you think historically, a lot, of, a lot of this command and control type leadership, people see that it's necessary um, because in a, a emergency situ- situation, everybody needs to know you know what to do and how to respond and and who's the leader and, and who's going to take control. But I think to get productive, meaningful work done, everybody in the team needs to have a voice and they have to be able to speak up and they need to uh, work together seamlessly. So, yeah, those concepts for me were it's a complete shift of how your brain works and how you understand leadership. So it's, yeah, it was for me the same um, sort of try to understand how does leadership as practice um, apply to a very operationally focused business?
1: Very much so. And and, and that's why I sort of found that the, the practical application for me has been very much in the strategy space. So I've reshaped the way that my organization because i've got i've got the ability to influence that quite heavily i've reshaped sort of the way that we we practice strategy um and i've really tried to harness this more collaborative shared um distributed leadership to try and create alignments and try and get a structural framework of transition rules which allow those people uh that are, that are within that strategy space to exercise true and meaningful autonomy, uh, when they go about their daily work. And, you know, for me, some of the key elements, and they're quite simple really, is, is around just alignment and access to information, which we, we often forget about. It's, it's about creating a space for debate, building shared understanding of the context and what we're going after. And what really are we going after? It's, it's about empowering individuals to take accountability to deliver. We've got really, really clearly defined expected outcomes and granular OKRs now from a strategy perspective with the priorities that we're setting. And then another key thing for me has been establishing consistent strategic meeting rhythms. We had a very much an ad hoc way of practicing strategy and we've we've now got into quarterly, monthly, weekly meeting rhythms, key stakeholders, granular OKRs, absolute accountability, full access to transparent information and we've been running it since since late last year so we've now into the fourth quarter that we're running it or third quarter that we're running it and I think I am seeing some significant improvements just in terms of the collaboration, the ownership, and a sense of purpose amongst the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, the company I work for at the moment, we're going through a major cultural transformational shift at the moment. I think one of the things that's sticking with me the most and sort of the key message coming out of it, um, and you mentioned it in terms of social construct, is the whole message we have at the moment is that we are culture. I am culture, okay? And it's all around the way that I act towards others, every single person in the organization has a role to play in the culture of the organization. And you have to find a way to exhibit the culture that you want to see in the organization. Um, so I think that whole uh, learning around social construct and culture is are you acting in accordance to the culture of the organization? Um, and I think you can only do this sort of shared leadership and shared accountability which you're talking about if each person recognizes the role that they're playing in creating the culture of the organization. My podcast name is unchanged, so I have to ask you um, so over the last two and a half years, you're reflecting on your your research and and the transformation you've gone through as a result of this um, this degree how has how has this study changed the way that you think and act personally?
1: So I think alluded to it in the initial conversations that we had it's it really has fundamentally changed the way that I view myself as a leader and the expectations that I have of myself as a leader. And for me, it's was really it been really liberating because, you know, coming from a place where I felt I wasn't doing my job, if someone asked me a question and I didn't quite know it, I'm now very, very comfortable with the fact that I don't need to have all the answers. And in actual fact, that someone that that might actually be the least likely to come up with an unbelievable answer and to give me a different perspective and to add value to a conversation, can add value to a conversation simply because they're looking at it from a completely different lens. To be honest, that, that was never ever part of my thinking before I started the, the EMBA program. So it's really, really changed me significantly.
0: So, in preparing for this podcast, um, is there one key message you wanted to get across, and and what would that message be?
1: I think for me, the key takeout from my research, and and I've gone through the shared leadership and and other elements, but for me, the key takeout from my research was we need to understand that organisations have this history, this, this incredible memory that sits underneath them, and. As leaders, we need to really understand, especially if you're moving between organizations or you go into a, a, a new organization, is that there are these unwritten rules which are firmly, firmly embedded and no one talks about them. But when you come in and you want to try and initiate change or, or get people to perform their duties in a different way or think differently, that we mustn't negate the power of that underlying, the, those social constructs that sit underneath the organization. And only through really trying to make them explicit will we start to understand them as I, as I did now. When I presented my research, no one really thought about, uh, about these things when I presented them back. And there were so, there was such common threads between the 14 interviewees from the people that had been there for 20 years to the people that had been there for two years were seeing exactly the same things. And they were seeing so many positives about them, but they were also seeing in what context there can be negatives about them. And that would really be – that was my key learning and the key takeout from this is don't forget about those social constructs and their ability to actually influence what people perceive as what type of action they can take and their capacity for action because they can be very limiting.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for that. I mean, for me, it almost sounds like each – organization has got an underlying story and you almost have to get to the bottom of that story to understand how you can affect change in that organization if you want to change the story you have to understand firstly the stories we've been telling to ourselves over the last couple of years and to the formation of the company to be able to change the story later on so thanks so much for joining me today um jordan it's been wonderful to learn about your study thank you very much for for being here today
1: Thank you, Petra. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for the time. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.